Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital. We're a registered investment advisory firm committed to helping clients grow and manage generational wealth. We do this by focusing on integrity, competency, and transparency each and every day. No matter where you find yourself on the investing journey, our hope is that these conversations, stories, and interviews can empower and equip all investors with fresh insight and perspective on the capital markets. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Joining us today in studio is the founder and CEO of Hearts for Hearing, Mrs. Joanna Smith. It's a pleasure to have her in, and I'm just so appreciative of the time she gave us. Joining me in studio was Catherine Van Landingham, our nonprofit expert here at Full Sail. And together, we really walk through the story of Hearts for Hearing. Just to give you a little bit of background, a real high-level overview, Hearts for Hearing was founded in 2003 with the general mission of just providing hearing technology and speech therapy services at a, at a no out-of-pocket cost to families with children who are born deaf. 20 years later, they are still doing that same thing, still carrying on that mission. However, they've expanded to include adult hearing care. Uh, Now they have offices in Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Shawnee. They've grown from the original three that Joanna talks about to over 117 now. Over 20,000 patients last year were seen, which is just incredible. So they continue to provide that first set of hearing technology and therapy to the children at no out-of-pocket cost. Now they include newborn hearing screening services. There are so many things that we kind of left out uh, that we weren't able to get to. So in the show notes, and I mention it because they're really kicking off a big campaign with their 20th year of being in business, but below in the show notes are, are really links to all of the social media platforms that I could find. So if you're on any of them, go and give them a follow. Make sure you stay up to date with everything that's going on there. Again, we are so appreciative of Joanna, her time, what she's done for just this demographic that she's serving, these babies, these adults, these kids, but just more so just for the community. And uh, so, Joanna, thank you again. For those listening, I hope you enjoy our conversation. If there's anything uh, more you'd like to learn, feel free to reach out and I'll be happy to connect you to the right place. So have a great rest of the week and we'll talk again soon. Joanna, thank you for joining Catherine and I today. It's a pleasure to have you here in the uh, the studio with us. Thank you. We are going to dive right in here. I've kind of teed it up in the intro, but... I would like for you, before we get to the Hearts for Hearing story and, and kind of feature here, give us a little bit of background on you, the who, what, the where, the why uh, on Joanna Smith, if you don't mind, please. Sure. I am Joanna Smith, and I am a longtime Oklahoma Cityan. I was born and raised here many years ago. I grew up here, went to college at OSU, and then transferred and did my I graduate knew work about you. at I liked OU. About you. <laughs> yeah, I'm equal at both schools. Both so I've, met, I've met her son. It no, didn't unfortunately, all of our dollars went to OU <laughs> because all three of them graduated from OU. Yeah, but, that's yeah. that's fair. You yeah. at least have some orange blood in there. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so um, grew up in Oklahoma City and married my husband, who we will celebrate 50 years in the spring of next year. So, oh, congrats. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Congrats. That's that's great. Uh, you speech pathology. I am. Major, I correct. I, yeah, I didn't have that as my dream okay. um, when I started out. I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I I was inclined to do something in the medical field, but was concerned because my real dream was to be a mother. And I thought, oh, that's what I my full time job is going to be. Yeah, that isn't the way that it played out. That's so played God out, huh? had a different idea. But doesn't yep. he always? Yes, right. he does. So, so speaking of. God have another idea and just the vision. Let's go back. 2003, I believe, is when the idea 
be created, be formed, and maybe kind of tell us about those early individuals who were involved. Sure. How the idea became about. I will go back a little bit before Please even do. 2003. I had been working part time. I have three children. And when the last one was born, I decided I would cut back and work just part time as a speech language pathologist. So I was doing private practice and um, cochlear implants became available for children in the early 90s, 1993. Okay. And Stan Baker, who was doing cochlear implant surgeries at the time, suggested to me at one point I knew him just personally. And he said, you know, the surgery is the easy part. It's the pre and post that is the most important. And finding a surgeon who actually recognizes that is pretty incredible. So I knew he was special. And he said, are you interested in building kind of a pre and post program? And that was in 1995, 96. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So um, prior to us launching Hearts for Hearing, I worked as a contractor with Integris Hospital to do therapy um, for kids that had gotten a cochlear implant or were about to get a cochlear implant and did that. I, I smile sometimes thinking about how little we really knew and how little space and resources we had at the uh, time because it was a very different world then. Was it you? Did you build a team around you? It was me to start with. And then Teresa Caraway, who was a colleague of mine and a dear friend, I went to her and I said, you want to explore this with me? And the two of us started seeing children together. She had her doctorate and had was working on finishing that up. So the two of us started seeing kids at that point. Okay. Again, I bet that's been fascinating watching from starting from there and just technology and everything else, oh, the advancement that have been made and yep. keeping up with all of that. And yeah. And that was for me because I had been practicing and to think that a child that was born profoundly deaf could actually learn to listen and talk like a typical child. I I really wasn't sure if I believed it when I first started it because I had never seen that before. But in 2000, when Oklahoma law was passed that meant every baby born in the state had to be screened for newborn hearing screening, Mm -hmm. it was a game changer for us. So we actually built on that, did some early screening as a part of Integris. Wow. And yeah, then we were kind of off to the races. Right. That's where we landed in 2003. 2003 or maybe a little before you're, you're really, you're out of room probably. You're realizing that this need is much bigger than just con- contractor at, at Integris. It was, and funding was a major thing. The We first started in 2003 to help cover the cost of hearing Just aids. simply help cover the cost. Mm-hmm. So hearing aids weren't covered by insurance. And when we would get a baby who was had hearing loss, I'd call my friends and say, guys, I need your help. Can you help us pay for this set of hearing aids? And, you know, I'm sure there were some of them were like, eh, caller ID. I'm not sure I'm going to pick <laughs> that one up from her. But actually, it was a terrific way to get the word out. So in 2003, We went to the legislature and said, will you help us fund this? Because insurance was still declining to cover hearing aids. And they said, this is not the time to come to the well. So go to the philanthropic community. So that's what we did in 2003. The three of us pooled our resources and said, let's start this, create a foundation, and then people can donate as they have 
the capacity to so do you, so. You, Teresa, and Stan were mm-hmm. the, are those three founding right. members. Yes. Uh, still involved to this day? In aspects of the field, uh, yeah. Some, some variety. Teresa is in a different role. She is going to be the new CEO of a foundation that works to support. Oh, great children with hearing loss and Dr. Baker is still doing cochlear implant surgery. We still see him regularly. We staff with him. Great guy. Because we are not affiliated with a hospital. We work with all kinds of hospitals. Yep. But still very in touch with them. Starting a 501c3, it's not an easy task. There's a lot of red line paperwork and everything else that goes into that. Yes. How was that getting um, started? Well, we were incredibly naive. I think it, in some ways that was both a blessing and a curse because we just didn't stop. We kept moving forward. Right. I think what we were surprised by is just making the decision to do that. There were lots of people that didn't understand exactly what our work was about when you said hearts for hearing they weren't clear. So a lot of it was messaging in those early days and and making people understand that what we did was support families. And the reality is we finally made headway with the insurance companies. So they started covering more hearing technology. Cochlear implants had actually always been covered by insurance. It was hearing aids that were more of a challenge to get. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's very strange how that works. And now, fortunately, the Oklahoma Healthcare um, Authority has authorized cochlear implants for children down to six months of age. The FDA says nine months, but Oklahoma, and this is one thing we've done really well, mm-hmm. said, you know what, if they're going to need this anyway, why would we not go ahead and give it to them as soon as possible? Absolutely. So they don't fall behind. I mean, they just become every... developmentally appropriate. So, oh, yeah. That's so cool. That's fantastic. So the three of you, original location, I guess, well, no, the original location wouldn't have been an Integris. That was pre. So when, when, what was Hearts for Hearing's original or first location? Okay, so Hearts for Hearing, that would have been in the fall of 2006. It became clear if we were going to grow statewide that we needed a more nimble governance Sure. and we could make decisions without going through red tape. Jeez. I think the hospital was also unclear at the time. There was some tension over the Huff Ear Institute actually launched it. We were a part of them. Okay. It was a really triangulated relationship between Integris, the clinic, and Hearts for Hearing. So in the end of 2006, we made the decision and the hospital encouraged us to do that. And we leased office space just down the street on 56th Street. And it was tucked away. Oftentimes we would have to go stand out in the parking lot and direct people to where we were. (laughs) Yeah. It happened more often than not. So so we we grew there. We basically moved uh, expanded services in that building and took on more square footage, but knowing full well that we were going to need additional space. The market tanked in 2008 and 9. We had a board member who had offered us space in a building that he was building, but it was also in the middle of that crisis. And so we paired back and said, we want to weather this storm. And the best way to do it is not to start a capital campaign in the middle of that. It was shortly after that, that Teresa left the organization and started in a new aspect of the work. And it was pretty terrifying for me because the two of us had done a lot of work together and not really clear 
I'm a great speech language pathologist. I love that. I mean, and I don't mind saying that because it's just fun for me. Yeah. I had never been a CEO. And so that was a little bit humbling. I will tell you that once we started down the road with our board and kind of how God's story is much bigger than what you realize. We knew that our Lord's Community Church at the time had land that had been given to them to the north of their property on the Hefner Parkway. Mm -hmm. And so we reached out to the church. We actually had one of our preschool classrooms at the church. So we knew a lot of those people. And at first they said, "Mm, I'm not sure that's really what we want to do. So we just paused and continued to add little office spaces on Northwest 56th Street. But then they came back to us and said, you know what? I think that maybe this could be something we would entertain. So we went down that road and I soon learned not only was I going to need to be a CEO and a speech language pathologist, but also a semi-building general contractor. contractor. And we were fortunate enough to bring on Bruce Bacchus and his team at Bacchus Payne. And it was a complete joy to work with them. Great. They're okay. Yeah. Okay over there. Yeah. So was the the first major hire, first major move, was it really assembling the board? Did you feel like that was really an important thing to get that core and then you can go out and grow the team itself? I appreciate the nature of that question. And we're celebrating, quote, our 20th year if we use the 2003, which is when our 501c3 paperwork was um, documented. We did that first. That poor first board, though, had no idea what they were (laughs) getting into. I mean, we laugh about it. And I've had conversations with several of them of late as we try to remember and reminisce about that. But they thought they were just going to, you know, meet once a year. And next thing you know, we're leaving the hospital and starting a fundraising and a capital campaign. And they're like, the heck did you get me into? (laughs) So, yeah, it was kind of both. I think one of the the biggest hires that we made, too, were we hired a, a crackerjack speech language pathologist, several of them who I had taught. I'm, I'm an adjunct at both. Oh, really? Yeah, so you you'd had them as students. Yeah, I had them as students. So they came on. We got to have them as practicum students. So we knew what their skills were and we knew who we wanted. And then we hired um, Dr. Jace Wolf, who was a PhD audiologist. And he was hired in 2003 also, okay. in May of 2003. And so bringing that group of team together, um, Darcy Stowe, who's still on our team, and Lindsay Hanna, Jace, that was really important to to building that. But then growing a board, because the first board, they were wonderful, but it was for some of them more than what they had really right. bargained for. Right. So Different yeah. set of skills. And, it is, uh, yeah. Or as you added board members, because mm-hmm. I know what you have today is uh, you've always had good people on your board. Yeah. You had a pretty incredible team. Yeah. And we'll get into the growth there, well, and too. Well, starting but. just a time commitment. It is. Everybody has to roll their sleeves up and hit the ground running. So I'm just impressed with the number of hats you've worn. Oh, well, probably (laughs) scrambling to keep them on my head is probably the best way to describe it. Well, it sounds like you've done an excellent job. (laughs) You know, I've had a great group of people. And I say this often, and it kind of, it's sobering and scary at the same time, but none of them have been there by accident. And I, the right team surrounded you, which is the core group. Yeah. And sometimes in a season and a different season, because some have gone and that's been hard, but you figure it out. So, well, uh, kind of along those lines, as you look back from today over the past five, 10, 15 years, what's been 
we, we were joking off air about you getting into some of the toughest decisions or toughest times, but what are some of those tough decisions or, or even rewarding decisions and experiences that you think about that were real uh, impactful to you as a CEO, impactful to you as a person, impactful to the organization as a whole? Uh, does anything stick out to you? I think change is hard. Oh, sure. And I think the hardest things for me, just because I'm a very relational person and I believe without a doubt that story is, it's really what we're about. And yeah. we teach people to listen not only to other people's stories, but we teach them how to tell stories. And I think one of the things that another huge factor for us after we got the team of providers involved was the bringing on of Chris Hopper, who is our chief of external affairs. And she was brought on as our director of development. Okay. When she came on board, and, and again, that's another one of those things that wasn't by accident. The timing is pretty The timing. Pretty I had worked with her daughter, Gentry, um, when she she has hearing loss, and I was working for the Oklahoma City Schools at the time and had been seeing her as a speech-language pathologist. And so I ran into Chris just about the point at which things were tightening up. It was 2005, and everything was, we were looking at a capital campaign, and I ran into Chris in Pottery Barn one night. She was working there, and I said, what are you doing here? And she said, you know what? I'm here because I've heard God say, I want you to tell a story. I just don't know what that story is. And I said, I think I may know what the story is. Give me a couple of days. And so I immediately went back to Chris, I mean, to Teresa and Stan and said, here's another one. I think if we can pool our resources and figure out a way to bring her on, I think this will be a game changer. Mm, and okay. It was a game changer because sure. there's nothing more powerful than a mother who is on a mission to make sure that her child has the opportunity to yep. learn to listen and talk and have full advantage. When you when you get to tell a story you've lived. Yep. That personal testimony hits a lot incredible. more than just telling someone else's story. Yeah. Yep. It is. And she's really good at it. And so when we talk about what have been some of the hardest, I think anytime there has been a member of the team who has chosen to go to another, it feels like God's calling them in another a place. That is hard. It's hard yeah. for me because I want everybody to be, you know, happy forever. Right. But that has been growth producing. And my husband often says, if you're not growing, you might as well, or changing, you might as well be dead because the reality is we are all going to have to grow and change. And so that has helped me embrace some of the change that has happened even, you know, this year. When you're walking through the halls right now, what's one of the most rewarding things you get to see, rewarding experiences? Do you still have hands-on with any of the kids? As Oh, I miss it. Um, that I, was. I, I thought you might. That's one of the things that was the hardest when Teresa left, I really had to pull back. I still kept some children on my caseload since we've been in the newer space. And when we moved into our space on the Hefner Parkway, when was that? The that initial? would have been in November of 2016. 16. Okay. So we had 35 employees at the time, and we're now at 135 to 40. It's a fluctuating. So that's yeah. been a challenge. You're, you're, you're managing massive people. So when you ask me, I listening to the kids, I coming to some camp and seeing the children and you would walk in there and have no idea which ones were hearing and which ones were profoundly deaf by the way that they talk. talk. And, and then I sat in a group and listened to a couple of the kids say, what do you like about summer camp? And this 
He looked to be about nine or 10. He said, I like coming because there's other kids here that wear technology and I'm the only one in my school that has a cochlear implant. So it makes me feel like I'm not alone. Mm. And just hearing him be able to express those words was huge. I think sitting across from a parent and being able to say with conviction, this is not just possible, it's probable when we do what it takes early and see that you can actually take their shattered dreams that have literally just fallen apart, as you said. No, your child has a profound hearing loss, and you see them go through like what that means and then say, no, but I can offer you hope, and it's why it doesn't get old even today. I mean, if I... They pulled me back in. I'd jump all over it. There's nothing like uh, the the little videos you'll see on random social medias, but yes. either either putting a, a glasses on a little baby for the first time or turning turning on the yeah. the cochlear, cochlear implant for the first time, and it's just like they they get me every time. Yep. It's really cool. They really do, neat. and the adults are the same. We had oh. a, recently had an adult who had been deaf for 63 years, and he had been taught to watch people he had not learned. He learned sign language, but he still communicated orally. And I mean, this man put his head down on the desk and just burst into tears and said, why did I wait so long? So those kinds of things. Um, But also seeing the staff in action and seeing the way that they pour into these kids makes me really happy. I think it's a common misconception, misunderstanding that you guys do service and help the adult community as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say this percentage or split is there? I mean, you're predominantly probably it, it's infants more, and kids. It's more kids, but it's not as much. It's probably a 60, 40 or 65, oh, wow. 35 now because we see adults that are, unfortunately, cochlear implants are still the best kept secret. They say for everyone that has a cochlear implant, there's another nine or 10 that would benefit from cochlear implants. And then we also know that there's a lot of people my age walking around out there who would benefit from hearing aid technology. So we have an adult hearing aid program and the profits from that actually come back in and feed the nonprofit. So it's a brilliant model. And if you're going to purchase hearing aids, and we say this to people, you can go down the street and go to an some other practice, and it goes into their pocketbook. Your money, if you buy it here, is going back into the services that we provide for children. It's a genius model. We're all over the state. Um, We just realized that, again, this year, we have someone from every single county, both pediatric and adult, that come to Hearts for Hearing in Oklahoma City, and we have a clinic in Tulsa as well. I was going to ask or help kind of uh, help people understand that you're not only here in Oklahoma City, you do have a location in Tulsa. We do. And that one is where? It is at um, the, well, it's called Legacy Plaza, and the Zero Foundation actually implemented, gave this to nonprofits. It's a similar model as what the Chesapeake program was at one time, Community, mm -hmm, Community Plaza, but we're there. It's at the Broken Arrow and 31st Street, and we've got a staff of 15-ish there. It's smaller. We've only been open since the fall of 2018. And again, that was another one of those things. They came to us. We'd just been in our building here a year and trying to kind of settle in. (laughs) And they said, if you want this, we'd love to have you and we'll build out the space for you. So we said yes. And was it a stretch? 
Yes, but it's there were a lot of families that were having to put a lot of miles on the turnpike. And, you know, that's with COVID. It was a good thing because we had telepractice. We could sort out more people to serve during that season. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're there, too. Do you still did you find that from COVID being able to do more things over Zoom or whichever platform you're using? Has that opened the door to helping even more people? Yeah, that's a Great. It it is. It is. And I love that you said whichever platform you use, because that has been also for some with hearing loss. It's one platform or the other is easier, but it, it certainly has helped us to know that we can do things remotely. I think one of the things we realized that during COVID is Families really like the in-person cheering on at a girl. We started a program called Eyes Open, Ears On, which means that, I mean, for babies, they have to be wearing the technology to benefit. And the challenge is it's really hard to keep hearing aids on babies who grab them and put them in their mouth. Or if they're in their car seat, they take them out. So we found that babies really need to have them on 10 hours a day. And when we started doing checking of that. You can data log and our staff all know how to do it. We were seeing that the average wear time was, you know, under five hours. So we incentivize families now for getting 10 hours of wear a day. And what Mm. we're seeing is this trajectory that the kids are doing better because they have hearing. So we do that in person, but we also encourage through tele. Are you going to start logging on at night, helping children so you can get a little of both? <laughs> is this going to be an issue that we're going to have to help have an intervention for you? Arn? Maybe. <laughs> as, as you look back on really the past 20 or so years in, in your role, what excites you about the future? I think that technology is nothing short of miraculous. I think the reality is there's very few children that aren't going to benefit from some. And I think there's more adults that could benefit from more um, if they knew about it. So that excites me. It excites me that there are people that are learning that this is possible. Unfortunately, there is still this battle that rages in some communities. It's not been much for us about whether you should use sign language or spoken language with your child. And what excites me about the future is hopefully that people will see and families, we're not about choosing one. If we've got a family that everybody in the family is deaf and they use ASLs, of course, we're going to encourage that. So I think that what encouraging me about the future is that maybe there'll be some settling in that that domain. Yeah. I think that it will continue. Does it frighten me? I mean, I, I'm much closer to the end of my career than the beginning of my career. In fact, you know, that's one of the things that as I look at this, yeah. it's a reality. So I'm excited about new leadership. I'm sure as you've told this story today, but there, I'm, I'm pretty certain there's gonna be somebody that's going to be perfect timed, line up, and they yeah. may be already in your life. And that's what we're all praying about is as we speak. As we kind of wrap up, one, one thing I'd always like to do and Catherine and I like to do when we have these kind of nonprofit centered conversations is just from your seat, how do you see just nonprofits impacting the community? What, what can you guys do or how can you guys move in a way that maybe other institutions can't? And maybe just speak to the importance of nonprofits in a community. I just think it's something we're super passionate about for sure, but I'd love to get your take on it, just leading one for so long. When you ask me about what we do, one of the things that's been really important to me is people took time when I was scared to death in that season of like not knowing what I was going to do. There were people who invested in me. Mm -hmm. And I think I have 
invested in some young leaders that I know are asking the same questions, mm-hmm. and I see how passionate they are about whatever their cause is. And I think the energy of that toward just supporting people and the community is different. I mean, do we need to be a strong business oriented? That's one thing I, I, it drives me crazy when people say, well, they're a nonprofit. They don't have strong financial. No, every nonprofit right. should be run just like a for-profit business. So running a business. It, mm-hmm. it is running a business. And the more we are smarter with our dollars, the more we can support our staff and the families we serve. So I think that the nonprofit community as a whole in this city has done remarkable work. The Center for Nonprofits is a great resource and they have been terrific um, all the way around, even during COVID. I mean, there were so many stories that came out of that. Oh, I can imagine. Very funny. We, when the money came out, the first round of checks we filed did not get a check. And I'm like, what in the world? They kept saying it was processed. Somebody that used to run a lady in the community, it went to her home address because instead of it being 11500 North Portland, it was 1050 North Portland. And it was made out to hands for hearing instead of a heart for hearing. <laughs> and she knew who we were and brought us the check. No way. That stuff doesn't happen in some communities. I mean, we just like, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. That's so cool. So, yeah. So I, I think the community as a whole in this city has been a great support, but it what it never stops. It's not like a business where you get really flush and you know you're in good. It's a churn because yeah. you have to raise those dollars those every money. year. We're in a fortunate situation that we bill for services and then we have some government funding and then we have the charitable dollars. So for us, it's that constant need to let people know about the work we do so we can invite more partners in. Without you disclose as much as you'd like, but I, I was recently in, in the office and saw how efficiently the building is being used right now. And I remember I remember when you moved in in 16, you, you know, that first floor wasn't even really, or the right. second floor wasn't even fil- finished out. Now it is. You guys have almost two chairs to a desk and time to rotate time. So you're filled up. What's hard for hearing the next five to 10 years? We got $10 million toward from ARPA toward a building for Oklahoma City. It so was cool. written as an expansion, and so we are trying now to figure out what that expansion will look like. The one area, a couple areas that we don't have, we have a problem in the state for imaging, like doing MRIs to see if a baby has an auditory nerve. Right now, they're backed up at OU somewhere six to nine months before you can oh, wow. get only, only location, at least There's one central, in Tulsa. One in Tulsa, yeah. one in the, okay. So we're exploring whether we'd put an imaging center in there, whether there's partners that want that space, whether we, it's, it's really built for sustainability. I think our idea would be to also put something in there that would be somewhat revenue generating. Yeah. We've got remote people working some remotely, but the question on the table right now is how much space. Yeah. We only have a pattern, but we could build up you if we up. needed to. Yeah. But it's more expensive now than it yeah. was when we built. Yes. And it's, thank God for our board because I was all about, let's go ahead and lease that space out. And they said, no, let's not. Let's sit on it and wait and see. And had we done that, it would have been awful because we filled it up in 2018, two years later. Yeah. That space was all filled up. Yeah. So so it will be, and, and it has to be completed 
by 2026 because of the way the money has been funded. So we are getting ready to start again those next steps. Next with, steps. Yeah. That's so cool. Are you oh. dusting your general contractor hat back off? Yeah, it's still Pulling on my shelf. shelf. Uh-huh. It's on my yeah. shelf. I would probably pull that hat off. I drove by it every day. I mean, we, it got to be pretty humorous because the contractor that was there was a wonderful human. When I'd drive by, I mean, I stopped most days, but when I wasn't, I'd honk and he'd know it was me and my little blue Prius passing <laughs> on the parkway. On the parkway. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, such a such an incredible story. Catherine, do you have any final questions or thoughts as we wrap up here and as, as she's thinking joanna any you know we always love to end with a story you told the story about the check that's that's yeah. incredible but any other stories that stick out to you i want to make sure we get to well the other thing i was going to mention that we have gone down the path and we're still waiting is the mobile unit because oh, that's right it's being constructed right now in ohio they're behind but that is going to be an important way for us to reach rural Oklahoma. It's still hard. You can do a lot of things via the computer. It's hard to get a good audiogram or a test of hearing over the computer. So the reality is we are going to likely have to go there on some of those. And we have a great working relationship with many of the FQHCs, which are federally qualified healthcare centers, like Variety Care in Oklahoma City. And so The mobile unit will be a partner. We will take it out and park it at some of those locations and then notify the community. I was in Tahlequah on last Friday. They're dying for us to come a day. You know, whether we can do all of that, I don't know. But I think that's our hope. And I think, you know, when you you sit across from this, we have several families that were, as we prepare for this 20th celebration, that have more than one child with hearing loss. And I was reminded this past week that one of them, number one, she's now a young mother and I saw her for therapy for a period. She has one cochlear implant, was identified at two, got her first implant at two. She does really well. They went ahead and had five more daughters and none of them had hearing loss. The seventh is profoundly deaf. So watching them go through the whole thing, still grieving because they kind of thought that was beyond them. But to see number seven just never really needed much therapy because she got her implant literally at seven months of age and had the second one two weeks later or a month later, I think, and she's taken off. Those are, that's what you realize. It, it's even though their hearts broke, the reality is this child, I mean, nobody even knows that she has cochlear implants. Just the impact that you're having on these kids and families. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be the most rewarding experience on a day-to-day basis. More than anything, it's the impact they have on us. I love oh, that. I, I can, yeah. Every- it really mm-hmm. is. I mean, there's a, another one, that young woman, she just had her 12th birthday, and I will never forget I saw the family leave. I'd gotten a call from, this is when we were in our other space, and I got a call from Dr. Baker's nurse, and she said, I think she's profound. They need to see you. Can you just, I said, send them over. And we got them connected with the person who managed the intakes. And I saw them leave, and I saw the mom, and she was very upset. So I walked out to the car, and I said, you know, it's going to be okay. And she was terrified they were Indian. And in her culture, a child that was born with hearing loss was a throwaway child. And she just couldn't process all that. And if you saw this young woman right now, she's just 
lovely. I mean, she is a lovely young woman. And the mom said, I will never forget that day. And I said, I, nor will I. I mean, it was, you got this. She's going to be fine. That's just amazing. I don't think I could work there pregnant with like seeing these feel good stories every day. I would just be like, that's beautiful. I love it. Catherine be crying all the time. Well, listen, they laugh about me. I cry (laughs) always. And then if I'm stressed, I run my fingers through my hair. So they know know the signs. signs. Run for cover. Joanna's having one of those days. Or it's a tearful day. Uh, Out of curiosity, how many children, adults are you guys working with at a time? Like, what's your capacity? Oh, that's a great question. Let's see. We saw 20,000, just under 20,000 patients last year. Wow. I'd say it's probably 60, 40 in Oklahoma City. The majority of them were here. And then we've got 15 speech pathologists that all have, you know, and we've got education. We've got a preschool, too. So we've got trying to figure out. I I need to figure that out. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. On the number of day. Do you guys have a waiting list? We do not have a waiting list right now. There is no such thing with a hearing loss. You've got to get them in. And so we, one thing I did fail to remember, one of the other things that came up during COVID, we weren't going to waste a crisis. Oklahoma actually screens babies, the newborn hearing screening. We do a great job. 98%, 99% of the babies were screened. 58% of the babies who referred on one or both ears, so they didn't pass the first screen, were lost to follow up, and we're like, that's unacceptable. Were they lost on the hospital side, or the parents? Like, just all of the above. Uh, everything got uncommunicated. Like, mm-hmm. there's just lost all communication. All of the above. Okay. Yep. Family changes address. They don't give them the right address because perhaps you know, right? Whatever. It's a change. There's just all kinds of change, but it was not okay. So we said, okay, let's attack this problem. And the person who had done, I'd worked with her for years. She's a nurse, and she had done newborn hearing screening for one of the largest companies that does it. And she said, I'd love to work for you. So we started. We got the very first contract, which was St. Anthony SSM here in Oklahoma City, and. I am happy to report that after almost, I think we're at 19,000 babies, we've not lost a single baby. There are days when I say, don't tell me what you did to go find that baby. <laughs> just but find them. That's just that, that's what they've done. So wow. we get those babies in the hospital and we've got, there's still a couple of hospitals that we don't have, but we're really we're close. Yeah. To get in there, and that way you're doing the screening, then you're in charge of the follow-up. And that's exactly right, and we know we can get them. And there's nothing worse than sitting across from a family who said, oh, well, the person in my county said it was not really that big a deal. I didn't need to worry about it. And we know that zero to three is the critical window. If we don't get it done then, They're behind. we're going to be paying a price for the rest of time. So I, I've had them, you know, they sat across from me and they'd say, they told me I didn't, he was too deaf. No, too that's deaf. not the case. It bypasses um, the broken part of the ear. Well, that yeah. is, yeah, that just incredible. Anything we left out? Well, just that we're celebrating 20 years and these kids are going to be the ones telling the story as we celebrate, follow us on social media because some of the stories are just incredible. And one of the young men who was one of the very first people that I saw when they shortly after, because he's probably 24 now, and he just finished his medical school degree and he's working on his residency in pathology. So these guys are, I mean, they're out there. That's awesome. Take it on the world. 
we will be sure we'll, we'll link, uh, here in the show notes, we'll link to, um, as many social media accounts as I can find for Heart Fair. Okay. I'll just that's find right. them out well, there. Well, now that's what we want people to know. And I think I really appreciated the comment about adults because I think there is still missing, they don't understand that yeah, we do right. see adult patients and that's important too. Yeah. Well, Jana, I appreciate it. We sure. are uh, just from from us at Full Sail. We are so appreciative of everything you do and your team that that you've done. And I've known you and your family for a long time, and yeah. just very much appreciate you guys coming in. Well, your mom is a speech pathologist she is. too, she yeah, is. and that's Between... going to date me because I used to babysit her. So that's that's really <laughs> we don't hey, we don't have to we don't have to discuss <laughs> that's dates. probably good. <laughs> no, I I will uh, as we wrap up. I my mom was a, is a speech pathologist. She still sees kiddos, mm-hmm. and um and. Then my granddad had hearing loss. At a, I will never forget him talking about hearts for hearing and how passionate he was, he was about it. He was one of our favorite, favorite people. You, yeah. you were one of his favorite people. Yeah. So, Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed this, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll do it again soon. Okay. okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, don't forget to review and subscribe to your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.